0: Let's pray. Our Lord, as we stand before this lengthy passage in the life of David, we ask that you would, by your spirit, open our minds and our hearts to hear the wondrous things of your word, and that even today we would see Jesus as glorious. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, what's your reaction when you're wronged by someone? What is your instinctive response when somebody hurts you? When somebody insults you? When somebody does something to you to cause you pain? When somebody crosses your agenda or maybe takes what's rightfully yours? This is where David finds himself today. He's been wronged, insulted, And he responds in a murderous rage, as you heard in our passage. And the problem for us is that more often than not, when our rights are violated, we forget about God and instead become angry and we take matters into our own hands. Sometimes becoming angry and trying to fix things through ungodly means, as we see David doing so in this passage. So then because we have a tendency towards anger, towards getting even in some way, we need God to deliver us. As has been said before, we need God to rescue us from our sin and from ourselves. We need more than just behavior modification. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. I need a Savior. This passage has been really good for me this week to hear about God's rescue. And How does God rescue us? Well, from this passage, from this text, we see that God rescues us by ordering all things for our good. And that good being conformity to the image of His Son, that, that good being that one day we will look like Christ, and on the way, God orients and reorients all things so that so that we would stay on that path uh, to glory. Sometimes God graciously intervenes and stops up our path, just like he does here for David. And and God's intervention and God's working in time and space, this is what we call providence. Providence, as uh, Ralph Davis says, is the frequent and mysterious, always interesting way in which Yahweh provides for his servants in their various needs. We have the scene before us. David has been on the run from Saul for some time, as we've been tracking in the life of David. He's in southern Judah Judah, with about 600 men. They're fugitives from Saul, and he finds himself neighbors with a man named Nabal. Now, David's a good neighbor to Nabal. As you saw in the passage, that, that David's men have been protecting Nabal's sheep so that none of them were pillaged by the Philistines or other bandits. And this would have come at great cost and expense to David, who was fleeing for his life. And so the custom of the time was for those who were being protected to supply provisions to the protector. For those who were receiving care and and protection to, to bless those who were offering protection, namely David, with food and supplies and provisions. This is what was owed to David as his right. Well, and David's messengers come to Nabal, and they ask for these things. Now, Nabal actually means fool. It's not the name his parents gave him, as has been pointed out, but it's probably a nickname. It's probably a nickname. And you see uh, his folly in this chapter. You know, he basically says, you know, who does David think he is? Um, he calls David a no-good, runaway slave and refuses to provide what David's asking for. Nabal is a loudmouthed guy with a lot of money and no brains. Well, you see David's response there. David's response and, and God's intervention are really the focal point of our passage today. When David hears that Nabal has refused to provide provision, he immediately flies into a murderous rage. And this is interesting because in chapter 24, David refuses to take vengeance on Saul. And you'll remember from last week in chapter 26, the same thing. That David remembers God, and, and that controls his reactions. What we see today in our passage is what happens when we forget about God when we're wronged. David gets angry and seeks to take matters into his own hands to annihilate Nabal. I think something for us to think about today is, what was your response the last time somebody wronged you? You know, how did you react to that person that hurt you? Oftentimes we do respond in anger, not maybe with a sword, maybe not even with verbal abuse. But through some subtle design, maybe even passive-aggressively, we seek to get back at others who have hurt us. I think that anger, anger is the enemy of wisdom. Anger is the enemy of wisdom. It'll, it'll make you clever, it might make you cunning, it might help you work out some diabolic, diabolical scheme uh, to get your way. But it always, unrighteous anger always leads to more pain and more suffering. And sometimes God gets in the way of our sin. Praise him that he gets in the way of our sin. Um, one of my favorite movies, uh, of course it's an old movie and of course it's a war movie, uh, is Sergeant York. And Sergeant York is the story of one of the most decorated heroes of World War I. And before he was a war hero, the the story shows that he was this wild man from the hills of Appalachia, this wild hillbilly, uh, who falls in love with a girl named Gracie. Now, in order to win Gracie's heart, Alvin, who's a poor guy, works day and night to earn enough money to buy a little bit of land that they can live on. But Alvin has a problem. Alvin has a rival who also wants to marry Gracie and buys this land that Alvin thought was his by right once he had the money. And so when Alvin, this angry wild hillbilly, finds out about this, he grabs his shotgun and he gets on his donkey and he comes down the mountain to kill this guy that's purchased this land that's taking his girl. But as only Hollywood can display, this lightning bolt comes out of the sky and strikes the ground, of course, right next to the donkey and right next to Alvin, knocks him to the ground and turns his shotgun into this little curly cue thing and he's stopped in his tracks, his mind has changed, and he goes on to do great things. Sometimes God gets in our way. And we see in this passage that God does that for David, firstly by restraining him. We see in verse 14 that one of the young men goes to Abigail, courageously, you know, doesn't tell Nabal, but goes to Abigail and says, hey, um... Nabal's really messed up this time, and uh, you've got to do something about it. And then Abigail, courageously and wisely, goes and intervenes and gets in David's way and, 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 and speaks words of wisdom to David. We'll come back to that in a bit. David acknowledges God's providence in stopping up his path and, and preventing him from sin and restraining him. There in verse 32, you can go back and, and see that later, but David admits that God sent Abigail to him. But more than God providentially hindering David, more than, more than Abigail being a divinely appointed stop sign, God actually works to bless David. You see that, that the person that David was trying to control and deal with in his own strength, God, God had that covered. God took care of Nabal. God took him out. Um, God deals with David's enemy. But more than that, the very end of our passage, we see that God blessed David even further by bringing him a woman that he did not deserve. A woman who was beautiful inside and out. David had lost his, his former wife, had been taken from him by Saul, but God blesses David by giving him Abigail. God works all things for our good, for the life to come, and blesses us in this life. And the idea that God overrules sin for our good doesn't give us license to just do whatever we want. We need to hear that and know that. That that, that God intervening doesn't just allow, you know, give us the the, the freedom to just kind of do whatever we like, um, to send our brains out. No. God getting in our way should should help us to worship God. And to praise him that he is far more gracious and far more good to us than any of our sin. I wonder if you've ever been on a path like David's. Maybe you are now, um, seeking to get even with somebody. As Paul Tripp says, David's story is our story. David's struggle is our struggle. David's God is our God. And God is working, even in difficult circumstances, even when we're hurt and we're wronged, to provide everything that we need and to rescue us from ourselves. So instead, when we're wronged, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Instead of when we're wronged, responding by thinking, how can I get even? How can I get back? How can I save myself, work justice for myself? Let's think, God, what are you up to here? What are you doing in this situation? What are you doing in me? Well, God not only orders all things for our good and rescues us by working everything for our good, but he also does so, as we mentioned earlier, by and through the restraining voice of his servants. You remember Abigail. You see in verses 23 through 31, how she comes to David with wonderful words of rebuke, but wonderful words of life. She's talking David off the ledge here. Rick Rick Phillips mentions five things that she does, and I'm going to list them. Um, If you don't get them, you can ask me later. But I think these things are probably helpful, very helpful to us in, in conflict, in situations where we've been wronged, and maybe situations where we've wronged somebody. But she does five things here. She humbles herself. Secondly, she confesses her guilt. She offers, thirdly, restitution. Fourthly, asks for forgiveness. And fifthly, appeals to David's sense of godliness. Firstly, humbles herself. Second, confesses guilt. Third, offers restitution. Four, asks forgiveness. And fifthly, appeals to David's sense of godliness. want to talk about that last one. What does Abigail do to appeal to his sense of of godliness? Well, in verses 25 and 26, she's saying, look, David, you need to see this as as God working to save you from sin, to keep you from guilt and sin. See see me coming to you as, as the Lord's loving hand, stopping you from blood guilt. Later, in 28 and 29, she'll remind him that the Lord is going to work justice for David. That justice and vengeance and retribution are God's department, not his. And then you don't have to look there, but in 28 and 29 and 30 and 31, like God is going to make you king. Remember, David. Remember who you are, David. That's a good word for us, to remember who we are. Now, David's got future glory awaiting him as king, David, don't mess it up now. <laughs> don't tarnish your reputation now through this senseless, impulsive act of vengeance. It's helpful for us to remember, as, um, as Pink says, that the future glory that awaits us has bearing on our responses and our reactions in the here and now So Abigail comes to him with restraining words. And several times in this passage, it mentions Yahweh's restraining providence and, and the Lord doing that through his servants. How many of us need to hear and receive wise words when we're out of control? But also with that, how many of us need to be willing and have the godly courage to speak the truth in love? When we see a brother or sister going off the rails, well, look at how David responds here. In verse 32, he says, Blessed be the Lord for sending you to me. Is that our reaction? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes we get really defensive, don't we? But can we see David's response? As a, as a model for our response here. Do we see the restraining words of God's servants as His divinely appointed stop sign and gracious road bro- roadblock to our sin? Because as Proverbs reminds us, that faithful and true are the words of the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So let's be thankful for those words when we hear them from one another. You know, how, how loving God is not to destroy us when we're set out on sin as a community here at Two Rivers. How loving He is to place us in community groups, to place us in, in a wild uh, group, to place us in uh, men's ministry, men's night, or in, in, a, in a family where we can say to one another, brother, Sister, I love you. Don't don't go that way. Come this way. Come the way that leads to life. Come on the the safe and sure path. So we ought to see those wise words that come from God's servants as His loving stop sign, as a, a sign to redirection for us. Do you have somebody like Abigail in your life? That's a good question for us. Do you have somebody with whom you can speak truth and who can speak truth to you? Let us remember to receive those words, those words of rescue. But also, as we look in this passage, as God redirects us from vengeance as he shows us that he has something better for us, we need to remember that God's rescue for us firstly comes through the redeeming work of the servant. That, that things only work together for our good, and we're only able to receive the words of God's servants if we firstly, in the first place, experience the redeeming grace of the servant to whom abigail and david point we can see this in our passage today in verses 23 through 44 Um, you don't have to turn there but know that even though abigail isn't a type of christ she points us forward and reminds us of jesus and his work so we need to look to the greater servant that abigail represents Notice how she comes to David, though, and remember that that she humbles herself before him. Though she hasn't sinned against David, she takes Nabal's guilt upon herself. And she empties herself before David, saying that she's his servant. She offers her very best as payment to David to satisfy his needs and she calls David to repent of his sin and encourages him not to give in to temptation but to continue to endure opposition she reminds us of a greater rescuer a servant who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a servant and bowing low, just like Abigail said, and taking the towel and wrapping it around his waist, and washing the feet of sinners, even people who would deny Him. Even if you've rejected Jesus, denied Him, betrayed Him, there is hope for you. He comes to wash your feet. And being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus calls us away from the temptation to get even from the path of revenge to the path of peace because he has made peace with God for us. But more than just Abigail, David leaves us longing for a better leader, a better servant, a better king because David fails in this passage in two uh, clear and distinct ways. One, He's trying to murder somebody. Uh, That's a clear failure. But, two, also, he takes a wife in addition to Abigail. And so, he's guilty of breaking multiple commandments here. It leaves us, it should leave us, if you're his subject, if you're uh, one who has David as your king, wondering is there something more here? Because I feel insecure, I feel unstable. David could not ultimately rescue God's people and he couldn't ultimately be entrusted with God's kingdom. David could not save us. But David's greater son, the servant of the Lord, when he was insulted, when he was wronged, did not take vengeance. But he was oppressed and afflicted and he didn't open his mouth. Then like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep before his shears, is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Remember that David swore vengeance. David swore vengeance and murder when he was cut off from what he was owed by Nabal. But Jesus was willingly cut off from the land of the living and stricken Stricken for why? Our transgression, for our rescue from sin. Have you experienced the ultimate rescue that makes every other rescue effective in your life? He would willingly endure every opposition for the joy set before Him, endure the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus' redeeming work provides us with the rescue from sin, And his example of humble endurance helps us as we face people who hurt us. So ultimately, the only reason all things work for our good and the only reason why God's servants are able to speak restraining words of rescue to us is because the ultimate servant, Jesus Christ, is our rescue and has in the first place redeemed us by purchasing us with his blood And by giving His life on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven, so that we would not perish but have eternal life. No person, no earthly relationship, nobody, nobody else but Jesus can provide that rescue. And we don't ultimately need to get even. We don't ultimately need to have our rights met or what we think our needs are met we don't ultimately need to be vindicated. We need a rescuer to whom David and Abigail point us. He has rescued us from the penalty of sin and has broken the power of unrighteous anger. Holy justice and vengeance belongs to Him. He restrains us, and He also restrains and conquers all of our enemies. So when, when you're hurt and you're wronged, Know that Jesus will be enough for you, and that he will deliver us from all of the pain in this life, and leads us into a better kingdom. So the question, the ultimate question for us today, is you, are you looking to this rescuer? Are you looking to him? May it be so of us. Amen. Amen. Well, we have today a table that represents God's rescue for us. God's rescue for us from sin. If you're looking to that rescue today, this table is for you. So I invite you to come. If you're trusting in Christ by faith, this table is for you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, I ask you to refrain and and remain seated and trust him and ask him to open the eyes of your heart that you might see him.